0: following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.
1: Welcome to Life Matters. I'm your host Brendan O'Connell. Well, we often look at the broad mosaic of the right to life movement, and also many there are many many topics that uh, came to my revelation as I started this show over 20 years ago. And today we have a distinguished guest who's been a guest here in the past. Uh, he worked uh, at the Harvard MIT statistical project uh, with students from both Harvard and MIT, and he's from. Um, the Distinguished Central Catholic High School in Pittsburgh. He also matriculated at Dartmouth College and got a PhD at Stanford University. Well, welcome Dr. Michael New.
2: Uh, thanks for having me, much appreciated.
1: Uh, now, Michael, you're uh, I also, I forgot to mention, you're a Senior Associate Scholar at the Charlotte Locher Institute. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to start off with uh, Pregnancy Help Centers uh, they've been under attack ever since the, desob- the Dobbs decision in late June of 2022. Uh, can you tell us what's been going on there and, and uh, uh, how, how are the pregnancy help centers uh, rebutting uh, the attack by the pro aborts?
2: Well, the one thing that pregnancy centers always do and should do is just highlight the great work they do in terms of helping women in need. Uh, this past December, Uh, The Lowe's Institute, you know, the ProLife Think Tank, where I'm a senior associate scholar, uh, we released a study on kind of the impact of these ProLife pregnancy help centers. We did a survey. We tried to reach out to all uh, 2,750 ProLife pregnancy centers in the United States and just tally up, you know, the women they saw, the services they provided, uh, materials they gave out, and the results were impressive. Uh, ProLife pregnancy help centers saw over 970,000 clients, new clients in 2022, That's like close to a million people. And they provided over $360 million or nearly $360 million worth of goods and services. So everything from providing strollers, cribs, diapers, to parenting classes, uh, to medical help, to job placement help. Uh, They really do provide a very impressive range of services to women in need. And uh, this is something I think everybody should applaud, whether you're pro-life, pro-choice, or somewhere in between. Uh, The fact they're helping and seeing this many people is a, a great, great thing.
1: And uh, what about, uh, you know, you hear the clamor by the pro-aborts that, uh, well, they're not medical facilities. Uh, what do you make of that? And, and of course, uh, some of these, uh, many of these uh, pregnancy help centers now have um, ultrasounds. Can you speak to that a little bit?
2: Well, first, sure. I mean, uh, by our, we look at kind of what percentage of pregnancy centers offer different services. We find over 80%, 80%, more than 80% offer ultrasounds. So that's a great figure. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the Knights of Columbus. They have really made it a priority to fundraise uh, on this and have helped pay for and subsidize uh, ultrasounds at many prolet pregnancy help centers. So uh, that's a great thing. Uh, there's you know very good research, uh, which does show that if a pregnant woman does get a chance to view an ultrasound of her son or daughter in utero, she is much much more likely to go ahead and carry that pregnancy term so that's a great development and you know there are medical professionals who do work at pro pregnancy help centers uh, not everybody has a, a medical professional on staff uh, but many do and many are willing to referrals uh, to places that do have physicians so um, you know they're becoming more professionalized you know the i'm on the board of the northwest center which is a pro pregnancy center the dc area uh, our current director uh, has a degree in social work uh, she 's very good at assisting uh, people in need that 's you know what she does for a living, so they are becoming you know more professionalized and do again offer a very impressive range of services to women youth and, and families in in need
1: uh-huh. and, uh huh and the do, do you th- do you think that uh, the abortion industry is succeeding in trying to Misportray what pregnancy help centers do?
2: Not really. I mean, I think that first off, when you look at you know, surveys, I mean, you know, Knights Columbus has done a survey on this, and over 90% of Americans support what pro-life pregnancy centers do. Uh, I think even a lot of your kind of average pro-abortion person, you know, if they heard about a group that helps pregnant women carry pregnancy as a term, they would even applaud that. You know, but you do have some elected officials that are very beholden to Planned Parenthood and very beholden to groups support legal abortion who uh, you know do speak out against them and do try to pass laws to kind of limit, hamper, and undermine their ability to reach out to pregnant women. They've not enjoyed much success. You know, they did pass a law in Illinois like that. Uh, but there was some good legal efforts by our friends at the Thomas More uh, you know, Legal Center uh, that did uh, succeed in uh, arranging for that law to not be enforced. So um, again, they are trying to stop them, but I don't think they've been all that successful.
1: Now, here in Massachusetts, uh, uh, the legislature, which is very liberal and pro-abort, uh, just before Charlie Baker left, uh, his, finished his uh, term as governor, his second term. Uh, they put forth legislation that, uh, that would be a million dollars, taxpayer funded million dollars to besmirch pregnancy help centers here in Massachusetts. Um, what do you make of that? And is that, sim- uh, is that going on all around the country or are there states that are pro-life that are helping out with taxpayer funded money to help the pregnancy centers?
2: Well, I mean, I think what's happening in Massachusetts is it's just awful that they would use taxpayer dollars to harass these centers that are trying to help women in need. You know, again, I think that, uh, you know, we'll obviously see kind of what happens there in the future. You basically see these efforts in politically liberal states. As I said before, you know, Illinois did pass a law uh, that thankfully is not being, you know, enforced due to you know, legal action, you know, by the Thomas More Society. Um, but thankfully, a lot of conservative states, you know, they are trying to find ways to help pregnancy centers. You know, in many cases, they're eligible for government grants. In many cases, uh, people can get tax reductions or tax credits if they make donations. In some cases, uh, you know, Texas funds an alternative to abortion program to the tune of, you know, multi million dollars a year. Uh, some of that money goes to pro life pregnancy help centers. So in conservative states, you know, the government, you know, is funding them. I think that's a better idea than funding, you know, it's good to fund things that you know, affirm life, like pregnancy up centers, instead of institutions that destroy life, like Planned Parenthood.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to move on to uh, what has, since the, the Dobbs decision, which was in June, I think June 24th of 2022, um, has, have lives been saved uh, from uh, uh, repealing Roe versus, Wade, not repealing, but getting rid of Roe versus Wade?
2: Yeah, the reversal of Roe v. Wade has certainly saved a lot of lives. And um, you know, we have data you know, very clearly that shows that abortion numbers have fallen quite a lot in those states that have gone ahead and passed strong protective pro-life laws. Now, some of our opponents argue that the reason for these abortion declines are because women are going to other states or they're self-inducing or they're obtaining chemical abortion posts of the male. But we've had a year and a half since Dobbs roughly, and we have some very good data on births. And you know, one thing I often tell pro-life audiences is that you know, abortions can be hard to count. Again, women go out of state, they self-induce perhaps, they get abortions with the nail, but babies are easy to count. I don't know if you've ever seen a baby, but they cry, make a lot of noise. You know, the government does a pretty good job you know, counting babies and counting kids who are born. And we have good evidence that there are more children being born in those states that have enacted strong pro-life laws. I'll give you a couple of examples. We have two studies uh, on Texas. Uh, Texas actually was enforcing a Heartbeat Act before Dobbs. The Texas Heartbeat Act, which protected the preborn after six weeks gestation, took effect September of 2021. So we have some good data from Texas. And uh, I did a study through the Loser Institute, and there's another study that came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association. We both found that the Texas Heartbeat Act is saving roughly a 1,000 babies every month, that there are roughly 1,000 more children being born every month in Texas, because of the Texas Heartbeat Act. So we see good evidence from Texas, you know, that more children are being born because a good, strong pro-life law was put in place. Uh, this past summer, you know, another study came out through a think tank, but, you know, kind of a wider range of states. And they found that, again, those states had passed strong pro-life laws, uh, like Texas, like Mississippi, uh, in the aftermath of Dobbs, you know, they saw a larger birth rate increase than those states where abortion was legal and they found bigger birth rate increases in those states that are kind of far away from out-of-state abortion facilities. So they found kind of bigger birth rate increases in places like Texas, Mississippi. They did in places like Missouri, uh, where there's out-of-state facilities that are pretty close by. So, again, good birth data from Texas other states shows that these post dobs pro-life laws, are, in fact, protecting women and saving lives.
1: Well, um, oh, I... Yeah, some statistics, though, show that uh, there's been a slight increase uh, year to year of abortion uh, since Dobbs. Uh, is that because of the availability of the chemical abortion, or uh, do you think that those statistics might not be correct?
2: I think there's a chance they might not be correct. I think we have to take a, a wait-and-see approach. The group that kind of took the lead on giving us recent or updated abortion data post Dobbs is the Society for Family Planning. To be honest, I had not heard of this group until after the Dobbs decision. They don't really have any real track record of providing abortion data in the past. Uh, in the past, we've gotten abortion data from, from Guttmacher and the CDC. So a lot of the data you see comes from this group uh, that, in my opinion, just doesn't have a lot of experience, and the data they come out with yeah, may not be accurate. Um, and I can also talk about methodologies some of the problems they have. I mean, uh, they're trying to compare uh, post dobs data to pre dobs data. But they only look at two months of pre dobs data. So that's really not that much. You know, I think if you're looking at a years worth of the pre dobs data and compared to a years worth of the post dobs data, that's useful. We only have two months of pre dobs data. That, that can be weak. Uh, that might be misleading. But even so, one thing I would say is that you know, it's possible that abortion numbers are going up. That's uh, just possible that the increases in pro-abortion states are just kind of outpacing the declines in abortion in pro-life states. Um, you know, we see the Biden administration has made chemical abortion pills, you know, more available. Uh, they continued the post-pandemic problem, or I should say the post-pandemic policy, I should say, of allowing women to obtain chemical abortion drugs uh, without an in-person medical exam. I think that's obviously failed on unborn children. But very poor public health as well. Other states are making abortion policy more permissive. In the past five years, Illinois, Maine, Rhode Island, both started to cover abortion through their state Medicaid programs. Illinois repealed their pro-life parental involvement law. Massachusetts, where we are right now, they weakened their pro-life parental involvement law. So, uh, again, you do have a lot of policy changes in liberal states uh, that made abortion policy more permissive. So if abortion numbers are going up, it might be due to that. Uh, geez, it might just be the gains in pro-abortion states sadly are exceeding their abortion reductions uh, in pro-life states.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, well, I guess we'll find out as time goes along when we get full year figures and that sort of thing. What was the name of that outfit again that is, is supposedly— it's called the
2: Society for Family Planning.
1: The Society they launched for Family Planning. Yeah,
2: they're a pro-contraception, pro-abortion group— um, honestly, I had not heard of them until after Dobbs. They launched what we call they call the We Count Project. Uh, and again, um, you know, they don't really have a lot of experience you know, doing abortion data. Um, uh, they're doing a survey. Uh, I don't think they're getting you know 100 percent, I think they're extrapolating. So, again, there's a chance that some of this data, which the media is taking at complete face value, you know, when they release an update. Uh, the media just reported as gospel truth, they don't talk to me. They don't talk to other people who are pro-life with a background in math or statistics. So it's kind of frustrating, but time will tell. But the important thing is pro-life laws we are passing are doing a lot of good. You know, obviously we have working work cut out for us. We're not promised a, a smooth glide path to victory, uh, but the incremental things we do, and even the big things we do, are having an impact.
1: Well, that's good to hear. Now, I also wanted to ask you about um, the you, the ballot measures. The other The other side, the pro-abortion side, is able to throw a lot more money at, uh, I'll call it sign b- a sound bite uh, television ads and influence people like in Kansas and Michigan and now Ohio. Could you speak to that? Uh, and what do you think, uh, how can the pro-life side counter that uh, so that their messaging uh, is more influential on the pro-abortion uh, met- messaging?
2: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, uh... You know, people who support legal abortion have a lot more money than pro-lifers do. Abortion is a multi-billion dollar industry in this country. And, uh, you know, places that do abortions, that invest in abortion, heavily put a lot of material resources in these ballot propositions. And we were outspent everywhere. Um, You know, that said, um, you know, we have to fight this. It's not going to be easy, uh, but it looks like the other side might put abortion on the ballot in as many as 12 states in 2024. So our work is really cut out for us. Uh, The one bit of messaging, you know, I think that we should emphasize more is taxpayer funding. You know, I think that in Michigan and Ohio, we emphasize parental rights a lot. That's not a bad argument, but, you know, I would say that teen pregnancy rates, teen divorce rates have fallen quite a lot since the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm not sure that that concerns parents today the way it may have concerned, you know, parents 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I would hit on the fact that if you put abortion in the state constitution, there's a good chance the state Medicaid programs to have to pay for abortion. You know, that's gonna be your tax dollars, my tax dollars, other tax dollars paying for it. I think that's a strong argument. Most people don't want their taxpayer dollars paying for abortion. So um, again, that's how I would kind of counter these in the future, but uh, again, our work is cut out for us.
1: And um, who who are these people? I, I understand that I heard that in Michigan, uh, there were like five or 10 people that donated tremendous amounts of money, uh, one of them being Bloomberg, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know who some of these other people are that are, are these wealthy people, that, rich old men, yeah. I'll put it to you that way, that are you funding? Know, I, I
2: can't name names, but a lot of the money does come from out of state. I mean, a lot of money that's in these ballot propositions is coming from out of state. Um, but I don't want, I mean, people are going to be concerned and aware of this, but I, I don't want us to spare as I said before, there's likely there may be as many as 12 states or abortions on the ballot in 2024. But there are some of these elections I think are winnable. Uh give you some examples. Uh, Florida, because of their constitution, the other side has to get 60% to win, not 50%, 60%, percent zero. So usually when we run effective campaigns, we've kept the other side under 60. You know, the other side did not break 60 in Kansas or Michigan or Ohio. So I think we can keep them under 60 and in Florida if we run a good campaign. They also want to put uh, abortion in the Constitution in places like um, Nebraska, South Dakota, Missouri, and Arkansas. These are very red states. These are states where President Trump uh, won in 2020 by more than 15 percentage points. So these are very conservative states. So these are not states that you know, embrace legal abortion. Uh, again, our work is cut out for us, but I think in Florida we can win I think in some of these conservative states, we can win. It's going to require efforts, require money. Uh, but I think some of these fights are winnable for us. So I think we need to really you know, do proper diligence. Uh, but we shouldn't despair. You know, again, uh, we're not going to win every election everywhere. I'm skeptical of we'll in Maryland, my home state. I'm skeptical about New York. But some of these conservative states, you know, I think we can win.
1: Well, I mean, Kansas, I think I read somewhere, uh, which was sh- uh, shortly after the Dobbs decision, it was in 2022, I think it was eighty to ninety percent of the money came from out of state. Well, won't they just do the same thing in some of these other states like Nebraska or that you've mentioned before? They'll just come in with loads of money and put up um, put up these soundbite ads and just pummel the people with the ads over and over again?
0: Um
2: that's a possibility. I mean I would say Kansas, you know, the Pro-life team, I think, was a little bit blindsided, to be honest. I don't think they really anticipated, you know, the onslaught. You know, I mean, the pro-life is not rich, but we can raise money for things, you know. Um, you know, money is important, but it's not everything. Uh, you know, I think we can run effective campaigns. Uh, we just have to be diligent. I mean, one parallel I would draw uh, is, you know, supporters of same-sex marriage. They lost a bunch of times in the ballot box. They probably lost over 30 times straight. They're persistent, and I disagree with them, but in a way, I do admire their persistence. You know, they probably lost over 30 direct democracy elections before they finally started winning. Corleafers have to be that persistent, too. You know, we may suffer some setbacks and disappointments. We just have to keep at it. You know, um, you know, again, I think that, you know, we have good arguments. I think when people start to see the impact of what's happening in Ohio and Michigan, if parental involvement laws in those states are struck down, if... Taxpayers of those states have to pay for abortions through a state Medicaid program. That's going to make you know the other side you know look dishonest. Uh, it's going to give us some good ammunition. You know, again, we have our work cut out for us. It won't be easy, but we we shouldn't despair.
1: In, in Ohio, where you needed fifty percent plus one vote to change the constitution, could we, the pro life side, put up a a put up a a ballot that? rectifies the situation where we just need 50% plus one vote?
2: Well, we could just run our own pro ballot proposition. Um, but, you know, to be honest, since we recently bailed the ballot box, I'm not sure that would necessarily be the best uh, best solution for us. We may have to go with kind of a piecemeal approach where maybe we uh, explicitly protect pre-born children after the second trimester, or we, you know, put uh, a parental involvement law in the state constitution, or we... Uh, prevent taxpayer funding for abortion and put that in the state constitution. We may have to come kind of a piecemeal approach, an incremental approach in these states. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I don't think we can just flip an outcome. I think the other side will show up with a lot of money to defeat us. But on a kind of a narrow issue about stopping late-term abortion, protecting parental involvement rights, or I should say, protecting parental involvement law, stopping taxpayer funding of abortion, I think we could win a direct democracy campaign on things like that in Ohio and maybe some other states too.
1: Um, switching back to the chemical abortion pill, uh, that uh, sort of thing, uh, is there, are there statistics yet on uh, how dangerous it is in comparison to, say, a surgical abortion? <laughs> uh, yep. are, are, are there statistics out there, or are, they, are we waiting to find out uh, that chemical abortion is actually more dangerous than other types of abortion?
2: We have very good data that shows that chemical abortions are, in fact, more dangerous than surgical abortions. Uh, we have data. I think there have been separate studies: one looking at California Medicaid patients, and one, I think, data from one of the Scandinavian countries. I think it was either Finland or Sweden that showed that the complication rate for chemical abortions was four times higher than the complication rate for surgical abortions. So, and this was a well done survey. I mean, a study. It wasn't you know piecemeal. This was comprehensive data from California Medicaid. Every woman that obtained a chemical abortion versus every woman that obtained a surgical abortion. And using, again, a comprehensive data set, you know, the authors very clearly showed that the complication rate was you know, four times higher. You know, the FDA has collected data on chemical abortions. Uh, I think there have been over like 20 women have died because of chemical abortions. There have been thousands of complications that have been recorded. So we do have good data from both the U.S. and elsewhere that these chemical abortion pills have obviously failed to unborn children, but do pose some pretty serious health risks to women as as well.
1: And the Scandinavian uh, countries, uh, particularly I think Finland is used a lot, uh, they track you from birth to death. So that's uh, for... Someone yeah, Finland is a
2: very good, like, health registry, but really tracks everybody, and, you know, uh, again, the good thing is it's comprehensive. It's not, you know, picking and choosing volunteers. Uh, they have a very, you know, comprehensive data set of, uh, you know, p- women from Finland who have undergone abortions, and we have other good data from Finland as well. We do know that women who obtain abortions in Finland are, frankly, more likely to die at a younger age. Uh, than women who carry pregnancies to term, So uh, it's a rich data set, and I think we've been able to use to show the the health risks of abortion to to women.
1: Now, I noticed pro-aborts are changing their tune. They're now calling it reproductive rights or reproductive freedom, I've heard, uh, on these uh, ads that that are played on the radio and mostly on television. Uh, How do we counter that, reproductive freedom?
2: I don't know, but it's interesting. I mean, NARAL keeps changing their name. Uh, You know, they were once the National Association for the Repeal of the Abortion Laws. Um, They became, you know, National, you know, uh, I forget what, National Reproductive Rights Action League. They became the NARAL Pro Choice America. Uh, They keep changing the name, but it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, abortion is wrong, it's ugly. People see that. It doesn't matter what kind of flashy name or flashy slogan you've out. People see through it. So, you know, they keep changing their name, you know, again and again. Uh, I don't think people are going to buy what they're trying to sell. Um, You know, again, I think that pro-life is, you know, very strong, very solid. It really, you know, shows what we stand for. We believe in life, the sanctity of life, the innocence of life, the value of life. I think, you know, pro-life is a good moniker, and I I wear that proudly.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I see. Was there anything else that uh, had come across your—I know you had a a recent article in uh, National Review online— uh, what were you trying to outline there to inform? Yeah, I just want to
2: highlight. I mean, every election is important, but 2024 is very important. I, mean, uh, I joke up, uh, you know, every election can't be the most important election, most important election, but some are more important than others. And the 2024 cycle is very important. Um, you know, obviously, we have a presidential election. You know, your viewers may not agree about who, uh, you know, the Republicans should nominate, uh, but whoever the Republican nominee is will certainly be much better on pro-life issues than Joe Biden. You know, uh, executive branch appointments are important. Judicial nominations are important. Um, you know, we need to do proper diligence. You know, we have uh, the entire House of Representatives is up for re-election. a third of the Senate is. You know, we need good pro-life people in there to protect the Hyde Amendment and, you know, push good pro-life policies forward. And also, as I mentioned earlier, the state ballot propositions are important. You know, I think that pro-lifers need to notch some victories. Uh, the other side has won seven straight times. That said, one thing I do point out is that even though they've notched these wins, they've not succeeded in repealing or striking down any existing post-Dobbs pro-life law. So all the laws we passed post-Dobbs are still standing right now. But that could change. You know, again, the other side wants to, you know, run these direct democracy campaigns in Arkansas, in South Dakota, in Nebraska, in Missouri, states where we do have strong pro-life laws that are protecting, you know, on board children right now. Uh, if those laws get struck down, uh, we can see many more abortions take place. You know, these laws are saving thousands of lives. You know, every year we need to, you know, notch some wins, and you know, we just can't let the other side run roughshod all over us. You know, this election cycle, you know, both the federal level, and the state level, you know, very important. Uh, all hands have to be on deck.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Michael New, thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh, informing the public uh, of uh, what's really going on out there. In the uh, world of uh, birth and abortion and uh, pro-life laws and pro-abort uh, efforts, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Anthony. Much appreciated. Keep the great work.
1: And folks, we hope you found today's show to be unique, informative, content-rich, truthful, and thought-provoking. Thanks for watching and listening. My name's Brendan O'Connell. Your friend for life.
0: The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.